Take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. We will not go through all of Daniel chapter 9. In fact, much of what we often associate with Daniel chapter 9, we will not look out at all this morning. But we will begin by reading the first 19 verses. Verse 1 begins... In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant and mercy with those who love Him and with those who keep His commandments, we have sinned And committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled. Even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants the prophets. Who spoke in your name to our kings and princes. To our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord righteousness belongs to you. But to us shame of face. As it is this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against Him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in His laws, which He set before us by His servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against Him. And He has confirmed His words which He spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which He does, though we have not obeyed His voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, We have sinned. We have done wickedly. 
O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. Because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. That's as far as we will read this morning. And it struck me this morning as I was considering how to begin that it's possible, though I truly hope this is not the case, But it's possible that many of us gathered here today have never had the opportunity to come into the presence of a praying man. And I don't mean to say that we have never heard someone pray. We've already prayed this morning. But what I mean to say is that perhaps you have never encountered a man praying that kind of prayer that takes place privately between him and God So that if you were to stumble upon him, it would feel almost like you were intruding into a place that you knew at once you were not invited to be. A little boy or a little girl wakes up in the morning, for whatever reason, much earlier than they should. 5 a.m., thinking it's 6 a.m. or something of the sort, and wondering if breakfast will commence shortly only to find his father alone in the darkness of the family room, kneeling down at the couch as if he were ill, speaking apparently to cushions and pillows, and wondering what's going on. And at some point, he either interrupts his father to say, Dad, are you okay? Or he goes off to find his mother to find out what's going on. Or wanders off because he has the impression, I was not supposed to be here and to see this. Now some of you might understand right away what I'm talking about. Because you grew up in homes where people prayed with that sort of seriousness. Perhaps, though, you did not grow up in a home like that. Maybe you have cultivated one for yourself in your own home. Perhaps others of you have never experienced anything like that before. If prayer is happening seriously at home, from time to time, people who live in that home are going to bump into each other when they are praying seriously. Well, this morning... We have bumped into Daniel while he is praying seriously. We were not invited to attend this prayer session. 
There is no audience listening to Daniel as he prays, at least no human audience. Instead, after the fact, the Spirit of God has led Daniel to preserve this prayer and the circumstances surrounding it for our sake. Now, there are several times in the book of Daniel already that we have seen Daniel pray. In chapter 2, in chapter 6, again in chapter 10, we will find in verse 2 that he has been praying for three weeks. And yet, in none of those chapters does Daniel write down a single word that he prayed to God. He doesn't record any of it. So we should not think that Daniel has a habit of writing down his prayers in order to be appreciated by other people and celebrated by other people and commended by other people. We know he is a praying man, but he is not praying so that others can see how great he is or how religious he is. Some people, we are told in the Bible, do pray that way. Jesus warns his disciples about that sort of thing. He teaches them in Matthew 6, Do not be like the hypocrites who pray so that they can be seen by men. Now, Jesus and his disciples prayed frequently in front of crowds. You do not have to read very much of the New Testament to see that. But their prayer was to God and it was not to be seen or appreciated by human beings. And our prayer should be offered to God sincerely. We do not pray so that someone can stumble upon us and tell us how great we are or observe how religious we must be or say what beautiful words he has when he prays. In fact, if our prayer includes an acknowledgement of the sin that we commit, which the Lord in modeling prayer for us tells us that we should do, then it should be very apparent in our praying that we are not great and awesome people. Just another little thing on this, and I don't mean to tell any parent what to do with their child, um, God has given those children to you to raise, but a thought that I have about this. When a little child asks at the dinner table, can I pray for the food? It might be wise to say yes. It might be wise to say no. When I was a child, just in our house, that was my father's job. And it was understood that I would thank God quietly in my heart and that God would hear me, but my father would be the leader of our home when it came to the public praying. So that it was... My father's task to be a leader in our home in many other important things. It would be his job to lead our family in the most important thing. And it would be my job to follow his lead and approach God quietly. I was assured by my parents as a child that God would hear my prayer, even though I was not the one speaking out loud. And I was instructed that God was the only one who needed to hear my prayer. That I did not need to demonstrate how good I was at praying to other people or that I could do what I had seen my daddy do. And one day I was told that when I became a man, if God gave me a family of my own, then it would be time for me to pray out loud and to take responsibility of prayer for the family that God had given me. And that when that happened, that would be a very serious thing. Now, children must learn how to pray, and I will occasionally let my children say the prayer at the dinner table. They must be taught how to pray. That's not a condemnation of anyone with different traditions in their home. It's fine to do things differently. 
Only I plead with you that you take care so that prayer is a serious thing in your home. It is not the sort of sing-song rhythmic stuff that gets quickly done and dismissed as if we were saying something to a magic fairy. But we are taking thought and concern that when we pray, we are approaching our Creator. No matter who is praying, it should be serious. And here in Daniel 9, this is a man who takes prayer seriously. Now for the message this morning, we will see three things in Daniel's prayer. One, his purpose in prayer. Two, his position in prayer. And three, his plea in prayer. That's the most alliteration that you're probably ever going to get from me. Three points that start with the letter P. It doesn't spell any fancy words. I'm sorry, uh, Steve, that it doesn't spell. But they are three things that we ought to be able to remember. His purpose in prayer, his position in prayer, his plea. First, his purpose. Verse 2 tells us that this whole thing begins because Daniel is taking his Bible seriously. It says, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Now this morning... We will leave off from a discussion of those years in this prophecy and we will return to it, Lord willing, in the future. But notice that the serious prayer of Daniel 9 begins with a seriousness towards God's Word. The two are connected. In his Bible, Daniel hears the Word of the Lord. That's verse 2. The Word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah was a man, yes, but he wrote books in the Bible. Daniel has received those books and he has read them, but he does not read them as Jeremiah's words. He reads them as the word of the Lord through Jeremiah. So Daniel has, we find, a very high view when he reads his Bible of who God is and how God is speaking. Just one more moment on this. If you look down at verse 10, it says, We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in His laws which He set before us by His servants, the prophets. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. Now, from time to time, you hear people saying things like, I'm waiting to hear God's voice. Or I'm waiting for God to speak to me. Now we see in verse 10 that God has already spoken to us in the pages of the Bible. For Daniel says the voice of the Lord was disobeyed when the laws of God written by his servants the prophets were disregarded. This is where, this is where God's voice may be heard. In His Word, in the Bible. This summer, some of the children in our church attended a few events that we did for kids. And at each of those events, while we were having fun and trying to show kids that we love them by spending time with them, and we do love them, and it was enjoyable to spend time with them most of the time, while we were attempting to having fun, 
we made the time to learn a few basic statements about God, and one of those being that God speaks to us in His, what is it, children? Word. Very good. You need not spend your life crippled with indecision, waiting around for an angel to visit you with instructions from God. And you need not be deceived by people who would tell you all about what God has privately said to them. God has spoken to you in the Bible. He has spoken clearly. He has spoken thoroughly. And we are told in the Bible that contained in His Word is all that is necessary for life and godliness. That includes your life and your godliness. And even the prophet Daniel, who himself was given a testimony by God to write down in this book that we're reading, even the prophet Daniel looked at the Bible and understood it to be the voice, the very voice of the living God. And he had great confidence in his Bible. So when he reads in verse 2, the prophet Jeremiah, he sets himself to a special purpose, a purpose in his prayer. Now here it is. Here is Daniel's purpose beginning in verse 3. It's very simple. Then I set my face toward the Lord God. This is his purpose. That's it. He has heard the voice of God in his Bible. Now by way of his praying, his purpose is to enter into God's presence. It's like, and I know some of you will relate to this, when a child hears his mother's voice in a room in the house, it could be any room, can't it? It can be the bathroom. The child does not care. The child has no respecter of privacy, right? But he hears, she hears mom's voice and without a lot of care, seeks mom's face regardless of uh, the setting that mom is in, they'll barge right into a bathroom or a bedroom. They'll wander right into something that... Be, why? Because they have heard mom's voice and they are seeking mom's face. And there's something altogether inconvenient about that. But there's also something precious there when you think about it. Because this child truly believes that wherever his mother is, he or she is allowed to be. Do you know that this is what David tells his son Solomon before he dies? I don't know if you've ever thought about what you might say to your children before you die. But David, when he was dying, said, Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and he understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. If you seek him, you will find him. And both the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah say the same thing. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And Jesus has said that in Matthew 7 and Luke 11, that God is a good father and he will not deny his children when they seek him out. Well, Daniel has heard the voice of his father. He has heard the voice of God in his Bible. And now he seeks the presence of God himself in prayer. That is his purpose, to be with God. 
He sets his face toward God. Second thing, that's the first point, Daniel's purpose. The second thing, Daniel's position in prayer. Verse 3 says, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications. And then he mentions three things. With fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. That is fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Now this is where the analogy of a child seeking his mother starts to fall apart, doesn't it? Because when a little child finds his mother, the child is typically, in my experience at least, not giving much thought to how he or she presents himself. It just kind of barges in. And here I am, uh, for better or worse, whether you expected me or not. Um, But that is not the case with Daniel. When Daniel seeks the presence of God, he takes great care to his position his position. It says he approaches God with these three things. Now fasting represents self-denial. It's a demonstration that Daniel is willing to sacrifice. He is willing to set aside his own appetites, his own needs in order to draw near to God. Drawing near to God is more important to Daniel than eating his meals. I don't know how many meals you have occasion to miss in the course of a given week. Uh, I think when we think about missing meals, we often think about it when we're not in the middle of it as, well, that's not too big of a deal. And then we start to miss a few of them and it becomes a big deal in a hurry. We realize how ill-equipped we are to miss a few meals in a row. And it might be that you're hard at work and your day gets carried away and you don't have a few meals. But by supper time, by dinner time, you are ready to eat. Daniel here in prayer is not taking something to snack on as he goes along, and he's not going to excuse himself when he gets a little hungry. In fact, he has set up a situation whereby to demonstrate to God how serious he is about what he is doing, and that he is depriving himself ahead of time. He is putting himself already in a position of great need before God. He's putting himself already in a position of self-denial, so that it is clear to God in his position, in his presentation of himself, that God is more important than any meal he might miss. Now, we don't need to assume that Daniel did this every time before he prayed. We are told, for instance, in this book that Daniel prayed three times a day, that that was his custom since he was a youth. I don't think we need to imagine that every time he had gone to some great lengths to fast desperately in all of those prayers, but this is a special time of prayer. And as this special time of prayer takes place, He prepares himself in a special way by fasting. If you have something in your life that you're trying to figure out, something in your life that you're trying to work through, if you have, in fact, in your life a special time, something where you know you need a special time of prayer, I would encourage you to ask yourself, what exactly am I doing in my presentation of myself before God to demonstrate that I take this half as seriously as I'm telling everyone else that I'm taking it? One of the ways you might do that is by fasting. You need not tell everyone else that you're fasting. You need not make a big show of it. Your Facebook page does not need updated. But you might simply miss meals in prayer during this special time to determine what God has said or what God means. So Daniel fasts. And it says he also changes his clothes. 
He's not wearing fine things. Now, we know that Daniel had fine things. In Daniel chapter 5, he is clothed with purple. He is given gold jewelry. And for the second time of his life, he is promoted to a very powerful position. Daniel, we may presume, had clothing appropriate for a king's throne room. I don't have anything remotely like that in my closet. You're seeing the very best of what I have. And I could put a jacket on, but it still doesn't get much better than this. Every once in a while, I'll see photos of some celebrity things scrawled across, across the internet. Or I'll, I'll watch a television show where everyone is dressed in fitted suits and tuxedos. Or I'll observe some coach on the sideline of a basketball game in a shiny suit that seems as if it was made exactly for the size of his shoulders and his waist and his midsection. I don't have anything like that. But whatever the equivalent of those things were in Daniel's day, he had them. He was familiar with them. He was required to wear them. And he could have put them on. But he doesn't. In chapter 9, he takes all of the expensive things off. And it says he puts on mesh or sackcloth. Literally, a mesh sacking, that's why it's called sack cloth, that would be used as a bag. It was worn by people, it was used by people for two situations, for transporting things, for hauling things, or to mourn and beg. That's, that's what it was used for. It was scratchy, like a burlap material. It was uncomfortable. It was not designed to be worn. It was designed for durability, carrying things. Cheap ways of transporting produce, vegetables, stuff you bought at, at market. Its sturdiness was important. Its breathability was important so that whatever was inside did not rot and ruin. But its comfort was unimportant. Thus, beggars could wear sackcloth. They could just pick it up in the street when it had been discarded, when goods had been unloaded, when a merchant or a trader or someone transporting was done. It was there to be had. It was in abundant supply. And beggars could simply pick it up and put it on and use it for clothing. Because of this, it was a sign of humiliation. Now, someone might ask, isn't that irreverent of Daniel? Shouldn't Daniel get out his nice things out of respect for God? And that's a good question. There is a time for that. The priests, we're told in the Bible, were required to wear their fine things when serving before the Lord in his temple in worship. God commanded them to wear those things. He provided them and he told them they better have them on. But there is also a time to humble yourself before God. And that is what Daniel is doing now. That is his position. A lowly one. Now some years ago I was sick. Um, and I was in a lot of pain. And I couldn't stop being sick. If you know what I mean. And it was a miserable situation. I remember I left work and I was driving home. And my, my head hurt so bad um, and I don't have a long drive. It hurt so bad that I was having trouble even driving. And so I pulled into my parents' driveway, which at the time was on the way. And my dad was the only one home. And I pounded on the door and he let me in. And I barely said a word to him. He could see that I was in trouble. And I went straight into his bathroom and I got sick. 
And when I finally stopped, I was so completely spent. Uh, my whole body was exhausted. I sweat as one does all over. And just, I remember just lying there on a dirty bathroom floor, just feeling the coolness of a tile and trying to recover. And I remember praying. And I remember thinking as I prayed to God, how weak and ridiculous and helpless I must look laying here on this floor in front of this toilet and happy to be here and just not throwing up and praying. How humiliating, how weak, how lowly this actually is. I was no smart competent, accomplished person lying on the bathroom floor. It didn't matter how much money I had or how much power I had or how much strength I would normally have. All that mattered to me in that moment is that my head stopped hurting so that I could sleep whatever this was off. There is great value in knowing your true position before God. And our true position is dust to dust and ashes to ashes whether it's lying on a bathroom floor or whether it's sitting under a tree like Job or whether it's in the stinking belly of a fish like Jonah, there is value in knowing our true position before God. And it is dust to dust and ashes to ashes. And so verse 3 ends with Daniel putting on his ashes. Job prays, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and they come to an end. King David says our days on the earth are like a shadow. James writes to us, you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Daniel covers himself with ashes because he would appear before God as he truly is, death becoming. This is the position of his prayer, to be humble before God. It's the second thing we see. And finally, his plea, the third thing. What does he actually plea? What is his actual prayer? What is the actual request? The contents of Daniel's prayer can be boiled down to three things, repeated over and over again. The first one is that God is good, faithful, and merciful. This is repeated several times. I'd show them to you if you have Daniel 9 in front of you. If you can just glance from verse to verse. In verse 4, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him, God is faithful. He is a great and awesome God and He keeps His covenant. He is faithful to do what He says. In verse 9, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. That is who God is. Verse 14, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which He does. And finally, verse 16, O Lord, According to all your righteousness, I pray. Which is Daniel's way of saying, I'm not praying to you because I think that you owe me an audience. I'm not praying because I am righteous and you should hear what I have to say. I'm praying to you because you are righteous. You are good. And you are good enough to hear a sinner like me. So, the first theme of Daniel's prayer, God is good, faithful, and merciful. Now, the second theme of his prayer, also repeated is that we, that is God's people, Israel in this case, have been unfaithful. This is his prevailing confession, repeated over and over again. It begins in verse 5. We have sinned 
and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled. It resumes in verse 7. To us belongs shame of face. The end of verse 7. Because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. Verse 8, again, to us belong shame of face, because we have sinned against you. Verse 10, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. Verse 11, all Israel has transgressed your law, has departed so as not to obey your voice. And the end of verse 11, because we have sinned against him. Verse 13, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. And in that last verse, we have the heart of the matter. There had not been a turning away from their sin. There had not been a surrender to the truth. So Daniel says, Israel had been very unfaithful. That is the second theme of his prayer. Theme number one, God is good and faithful and merciful. Theme number two, we are not. We are not. And then his last part, his plea here, verses 18 and 19. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. Now here here it is. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Daniel is asking God to save them. Not because of their righteous deeds, Not because they have earned this salvation or they deserve this salvation. Not because they are people who should be saved, but because of His great mercy. Because He is a great God who is good enough to save even them. Unfaithful, dust to dust, ashes to ashes people. No man or woman goes to heaven without praying that kind of prayer. God Save me. You are good and I am not. You are faithful and I have been unfaithful. I have been worthless. I have been rotten. Please hear me now confessing my sin. Please see me now trying to come before you with a humble heart. And save me. Not because of my good things. I am not good enough but save me because of your great mercies. That was the prayer of the thief who is dying on the cross, isn't it? The thief on the cross does not have to say how sinful he is, does he? Here is a man who is dying because everybody knows how sinful. He's dying literally because of his sins. He is a criminal being executed. He didn't need to say anything about his own sinfulness. But notice he did it anyway. Now, you can turn there if you like or I'll read it to you. This is Luke 23. Again, not a man who needs to make any confessions. It's fairly obvious the kind of life that he's lived at this point. 
But in Luke 23, verse 41, the thief says, we, talking to the other thief, we are dying justly here, receiving the due reward for our deeds. And I hear some of Daniel in that. I do. We have been unfaithful. We have been disobedient. We have been wrong. We have not repented. And this thief, for some reason, in his dying breath, maybe it begins because he is just sick of hearing what the other guy is saying. Maybe at the beginning, we're told at the beginning that they are both mocking Jesus, but now that death draws near, he's just sick of it all. I don't know. But he turns to the other man and he says, we are getting what we deserve. We are not good people. And then the same guy looks to Jesus and says, but this man has done nothing wrong, which is the other half of what Daniel is saying in this prayer. God, you are good and you are faithful and you are merciful. I am wrong. I have been wrong, but you are good. It's the same thing the thief on the cross is saying. And then the prayer that saves that criminal's life in verse 42, he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's not a long prayer. It's not, it's not eloquent. He doesn't demonstrate a deep understanding of the things of God. Just a humble, Lord, I am dying. Save me when I die. Save me when I die. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Why must Jesus give that reply? Why must he give that reply? Because God is merciful. It's not merely that he chooses mercy sometimes. It is in his character to be merciful. He is good. He is not evil. He is righteous and he is merciful. And he identifies himself by a name. My God saves. Our God saves. It's not merely that Jesus shrugs his shoulders and says, sure, why not? This might make a good story someday. Some thief here on the cross beside me. No. Jesus receives this man because Jesus must receive this man. It is who he is. And I tell you that today. Because if you do not know the Lord Jesus for who he is, you need not go to some great depths to turn your life around first. You need not convince God that you are worthy of salvation. You are not and I am not. What must be done? We must acknowledge, I am not a good person. I do not deserve salvation. God is good and He is loving and He is providing hope and mercy to me Lord, save me. Lord, save me. That is a saving prayer. And Daniel uses that prayer 
as he calls out for God's salvation for Israel, which we'll look at more in the weeks ahead. And I pray that that's your prayer. I pray that it's your prayer if you're a Christian, that you will never grow tired of praying the gospel, of calling for God to save you, of calling for God to be merciful to you, of calling for God to be patient with you, to endure, of thanking Him as He bears with us. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father God, you are righteous and you are holy, which is to say you are set apart from us. We cannot reach you in our own strength. We cannot get to you in our own power. But you have provided a priest in Jesus who has done the work of bringing us before you in peace so that in the name of Jesus, we may boldly approach your throne. And in fact, Father, you have called us to do so, and we are trying to do that even now. I do not know what needs to be done in the hearts of 100 to 120 people here this morning. Even if I knew every one of these people as deeply and as personally as I possibly could, which I don't, I could not begin to see the intents and the thoughts and the spiritual needs that you see. Father, humble us before you. Help us to take off our fancy clothes to get on our hands and knees and to approach you as children who know that we don't deserve the adoption that we have into your family and are so very grateful for what you've done. Set aside, deal with the sin in our lives that we might repent of it, that we might be free of it and thus be holy like you, our Father, are holy. And help us to worship you well when we gather together and to serve faithfully in one another's lives. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.